It's the All Things Strange Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Anderson. And Agent Ether. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. (laughs) (laughs) You can check us out on the Discord. We also have a Patreon. And if you are so inclined, you can check out all of the show's links in the description on the link tree where you can find a blog and a merchandise store. That's right. All right. We also have an email. You can find it in the link tree as well. This week's episode, The Tully Saucer Nest. Good try. Yeah, it was it was a decent effort, right? We got to figure real. something out. Yeah. yeah we got to write something down or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was uh, not horrible, I guess. <laughs> not the worst podcast intro I've heard. That's for sure. All right. Well, we are sans ETA for the moment. He says his internet is down, as it often is where he lives. And so for now, it's just Agent Ether and myself for the Tully Saucer Nest. Well, first, remember, I was going to tell a joke. Oh, yeah. yeah. Agent Ether has a joke for everybody. I saw this online, and I thought it was pretty funny. Three conspiracy theorists walk into a bar. Yes. That can't be a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so bad. Yeah, that's like a dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. That's funny. Before we get started, though, I wanted to mention our strange news. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. This it's is actually, awesome. Yeah, it's actually local strange news. So there's a park that we like to take our kids to. We've been up here now about, oh my gosh, it's been 10 years, up in the Santa Rosa area. And there's a cute little park, and it has a big man-made lake, and it's called Lake Rafine. And my uncle, who lives out of state, I don't know why, sends me this. I don't know how he even saw it in the news. There's a snapping turtle, and they think it's actually, I think they called it an alligator snapping turtle in the lake someone's illegal pet probably that they set loose and it's sort of like a cryptid i guess i guess it's the size of a tire it is big and local officials are warning it will take your foot off what kind of tire are we talking about? Like an RC like spare, car tire? Like a spare tire. Spare tire. That's a yeah. pretty big size turtle. Yeah, for sure. Especially with the jaws. The jaws. I will post a picture. It looks yeah. kind of nasty. It does. It also looks kind of cool. We should go see if we can find it. They had some pictures of it swimming like through the water, which is kind of murky, mm-hmm. like underneath. But a couple of people have reported sightings in the area. We live within walking distance of that park. It's... Well, close. I don't know about walk biking distance. I've walked there before. Biking distance. <laughs> but it's pretty cool to see something so close to where you live in the news. Even if it's not like a Bigfoot, it's just a turtle. But it's still pretty cool. <laughs> it's a big turtle. <laughs> big, big turtle. It's a big boy. That's my strange news. All right. Well, we chose this one. Uh, this one was chosen by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers. The first tier is... You, uh, you get access to um, early access, I should say, and after hours. The second tier, you get bonus episodes. And the third tier, in addition, you get to vote on upcoming topics. And this one was voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you, Patreon subscribers, for my new mic stand. Yeah, yeah we, I just got Agent Ether. So I had a cheap mic stand that I bought on Amazon before. For her, <laughs> and it just wouldn't stay up. Like it kept falling slowly over the episode, and it was a cheap one. It's like probably twenty bucks or something, because you know we don't have a huge budget for this show. So um, no budget. Yeah. We so have no budget for this we, show. <laughs> well, we do actually. Thanks to the Patreon subscribers. That's right. So I went and found um, the Rolls Royce of microphone stands. It was like eighty bucks. I got it for her, and it is nice. It's really nice. I got headphones, I got a mic, I got a stand. We're good to go. Yeah, it uh, does not fall or sink anymore. It stays exactly where you want it to be. It's pretty sweet. All right. the bonus episode this week was the Watergate scandal, part one. It's longer than I thought it would be, so it's going to be a two-parter. We'll do part two next week. Um, Your microphone is no longer pointing at your mouth. because I didn't touch it. No, you're going to break it. Don't do that. Agent Ether is trying to break my Rolls Royce of microphone stands. <laughs> All right, give me a moment. I will adjust it for you. Hold you on. Hit the flag. People like to hear microphone adjustments. I don't think they do. Hit the flag. Do it. Thank you. All right. You want to get started? So let's get to it. 
1966 Tolly Saucer Nest. Now, I saw this referred to as the Roswell of Queensland, and after reading about the case, I thought that was a bit much. That's a little bit of a stretch. A little bit of a stretch, yeah. I don't know. They like to call anything that happens outside of the United States has a chance of being referred to as the Roswell of that particular area. It's kind of overused. There's only a handful of handful of cases where I think it's appropriate, like, like perhaps Shag Harbor, Shag Harbor. Exactly yeah. what I was thinking of, you know, I um, guess July 2nd is considered by some to be World UFO Day because it's coincides with Roswell. But then other people celebrated on June 24th, which coincides when Kenneth Arnold released his statement. Hmm. So there's two World UFO Days, <laughs> depending on what <laughs> camp you fall into. As you would expect for the UFO community, there is no agreement <laughs> on anything. <laughs> well, I'm I'm in the Kenneth Arnold camp for sure on that one because his was a landmark case. It was much more well-known than the Roswell case in its day, although over time the Roswell case did become more famous. But I think from what I've looked into, the evidence for the Kenneth Arnold case is much, much better. So I'm going with the Arnold case. Let's do that. We should do a special episode. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. It's not coming up for a while, though. Yeah, I never heard of a UFO day before. Uh, th- that's not on the calendar. You know, you go and You're buy supposed your- to go look at the skies. So it's a yeah. day to go out and, like, camp, go somewhere dark, get out your telescope and binoculars, and go look for UFOs. Well, we should go do an outdoors in the woods live episode. No, well, no, no, not in the woods, in the desert or something. There's not going to be any. Well, dude, how many cases happen in the woods, though? But there's not going to be any reception there, actually. So we won't be able to do a live show. But we should record a show from the woods on the saucer day and then release it, uh, you know, when I get done editing it, which will probably be a couple of days later. <laughs> That'd be fun, wouldn't it? It would be fun. We have we actually have a couple of discussions we need to have about upcoming um, holidays. We need to do a Halloween episode. That's coming yeah. up. So uh, we're, we almost have a million downloads. We're going to do a special episode for that. Yeah, let me see how close are we. Let me check. It's always fun to check. You got to ping it occasionally and check out the downloads and I've been watching see how it. close we are. I've been checking it. It's pretty exciting stuff. We are 976.1 thousand. So we're getting there. Probably what, another month or two? No, less less than a month, probably. Less than a month. It depends. The numbers change quite a lot. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to it, you know. Uh, one episode will get a lot of downloads and another will get hardly any at all. I'm not sure why. But it, it, in general, the cases that are the more popular topics tend to get more downloads. But that's not necessarily a hard and fast rule. There are some surprises as well. But yeah, what can you do? Either way, it goes up over time. And probably within, I don't know, two or three weeks, we'll probably hit uh, hit a million there. Very exciting stuff. Pretty cool. I never imagined we'd get that, that many downloads. It's pretty crazy we got that many downloads. Now, it, you know, compared to other podcasts that are, you know, have larger audiences, a million is probably nothing. But for me, that's pretty damn cool. All right. You want to get into it? Let's get into it. All right. So this is hap- this happened in 1966, which... As we've talked about before on this show, there's a ton of great cases from 66. We're dealing with a genuine worldwide flap during that year. Uh, there was just crazy stuff being seen all over the world. In fact, the first, very first episode I did was the 1966 Michigan Swamp Gas Sightings, which that one is a really cool, really cool um event. It involved, uh, you know, multiple witnesses over several days, lots of different people from different walks of life, everything from, you know, young women at college to police officers, to farmers, to everything, anybody and everybody saw this stuff as really cool incident. But anyways, this, yeah. And yet the first Google hit I got. So when I started searching for information for this case, it literally said, Saucer hysteria, the Tully case of 1966. It wasn't really a hysteria. No, but that yeah. was like the first thing that 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 popped up, which is a shame. That's kind of weird that they, but I mean, that's pretty typical also. I, I'm not surprised by that, but it's also unfortunate because it was not a hysteria. The, the witnesses involved, as far as I can tell, were fairly level-headed, at least the ones I could find, <laughs> you know, but this one happened all the way on the other side of the planet from us, more more or less, in Queensland, Australia. 
in a small town called Tully. This is on the northern coast of Australia. The population of the town in 2016 was 2,390 people. So we're talking a small, small town. Well, and I think this was an area outside of town. Yeah, a little bit outside of town. Yeah, at a farm. Now, I always like looking up little tidbits of information for these localities because there are so many interesting places in the world. I will never get to visit all of them, unfortunately, but I can read about them online. So Tully was actually named after the Tully River, which itself was named after Surveyor General William Alcock Tully in the 1870s. It's one of the wettest towns in Australia and home to the, what do you think it's home to, Agent Ether? Please don't say spiders. You'll never guess. Oh, um, kangaroos. No, the golden gum boot. What's that? The golden gum boot. Well, I'm glad you asked. Is it a plant? <laughs> no. So there was a competition between the towns of Tully, Innisfail, and Babinda to see who was the wettest town. Apparently at the time, Tully won, although I think Babinda has since been proven to be wetter. But they were awarded, or perhaps awarded themselves, <laughs> a big giant rubber boot. <laughs> <laughs> so they, the town has a big giant rubber boot and uh, because of course they do. Like a statue? Yeah, kind of. You should Google it. Okay. Google the golden gum boot. Gum boot. Gum like G -U -M, chewing gum? One word, G-U-M-B-O-O-T. Golden gum boot. And I was, I was just thinking, well, of course they have a golden gum boot. It's Australia. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> they drink out of it? It just seems very Australian to me for some reason. I don't know. All right. I'm looking at it. It is big and golden. It is, to be specific, 25.9 feet or 7.9 meters tall. What is this on it? Is, is that a frog? That is a tree frog. Okay. Yes. Okay. There's a big tree frog on it. I like it. It's actually made out of fiberglass, not rubber. Ooh, look at this. There's a spiral staircase to the top. That yes. reminds me of the dinosaurs out in, starts with a C, um, on the way to Palm Calabasas? Springs. Calabasas. Yes. Yeah, you well, can go inside. I guess you can go inside the gumboot. Yeah, we'll talk about those dinosaurs in a minute. Those are pretty iconic. They were in um, the Pee Wee Herman movie, for example. But yeah, so this, yeah, like you said, spiral staircase. Apparently at the top, you get a good view of the town and... There's an annual Golden Gumboot Festival, which I wish I could go to because that sounds amazing, <laughs> right? But yeah, the the dinosaurs that outside there, I I think they're in Calabasas. I don't know. They're just on the way to Palm Springs because when I was a kid, my grandparents had a house, a vacation house in Palm Springs, and um, you know, lest you think that I come from a wealthy family, this is back when. You could buy a vacation house in Palm Springs for a couple thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, it was, it was cheap. It was not a big deal. Anybody who wanted one and had a regular job could buy one. It was not like a, a luxury thing like it is these days to have a vacation house. Now so, it's just as much to live in Palm Springs as anywhere else. Yeah, it's crazy expensive. And it's it's sort of interesting to see, but also kind of sad because... Where that house is, behind that house used to be nothing but desert for miles and miles. And when we were kids, we would just go play back there. With the scorpions. Yeah, with the scorpions. We'd just go run and play and have fun. You know, you'd find uh, scorpions. The, the occasional sun-bleached rabbit skull and whatever. You know, it's, <laughs> it was awesome for kids. But, you know, the last time we went there before they sold the house, um, after my grandparents unfortunately passed away, it had all been developed. You remember that? We were walking around. We went to a Little League we game. We saw the Comet. Yes, the Hale-Bopp Comet. The Hale-Bopp yeah. Comet. Wow, that was a long time ago. That was before we were married. So yeah. that was like over 25 years ago. Long time ago, like a million years ago, yeah. It was really fun, but it's sort of it's sort of sad. But on the other hand, it's interesting to see the development. I mean, like you could see that, um, like I think Bob Hope's house, like that saucer-shaped house, you could see that from the backyard. And wait, 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 what's this about a saucer-shaped house? I don't remember this. Google it. You could see it's in the distance. Google Bob Hope's house. Okay. But uh, but yeah, it was it was an interesting place. But anyways, on the way there, between you know, we lived in the Los Angeles area on the outskirts. It's actually on the border of Los Angeles and Orange County. 
Los Angeles County and Orange County. It's not in Los Angeles, the city. It's just easier to tell people Los Angeles because people have an idea of where that is and they don't know where Diamond Bar is. But we used to go there, you know, a couple times a year. And every time we'd pass these dinosaurs and we would stop off and they're just these big, giant concrete dinosaurs. And when you're a kid, it's like the coolest thing ever. I actually have a photograph of Agent Ether hugging one of the dinosaur's <laughs> legs. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to post it because she wants to remain anonymous, but it gives you an idea of the scale of the things. They are huge. They are ginormous. And you can actually go up inside of one of them. What is the Brontosaurus looking one has like a gift store inside, which is just really, really cool. Yeah, we have a magnet on the fridge. We have an old magnet from... 25 years ago. Yeah, it's faded. <laughs> and then we have a new magnet that my brother actually got for us when he stopped by there. And it's the same magnet, but new. But we have them both on the fridge. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really, really interesting because the place was bought by creationists. That's what they're called, right? Yeah, the people who believe that the Earth is 5,000-ish years old. Right, which is it's sort of a strange place for them to build because they don't think that the dinosaurs were real from no, what no, I understand. No, 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 I think that some of them think dinosaurs and people lived on the planet at the same time. Oh, okay, so they think the dinosaurs were real. And they lived with people on the planet because otherwise where the dinosaur bones come from, fossils and so forth. Right, well, I, th I thought... I thought the idea was that God planted the dinosaur bones. Oh, well, that could be it too. Maybe there's different camps. Yeah, I'm not up to speed on this and I, I don't know. But anyways, it was kind of going to ruin, like nobody was really maintaining it. Then this group bought it and they, you know, they'll hand out their, um, their information for their particular religious beliefs there. But It's just a pamphlet. They don't like yeah. bash it over your No, no, head. it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's not a big Here deal. Here we go. But they think the dinosaurs just didn't make it onto Noah's Ark, probably because they were too big. Oh, okay. Well, So they were around until the time of Noah. The makes great, sense. The Great Flood. But it's just, I just think it's great that somebody bought it and decided to maintain it because it was, it was just built as sort of a tourist attraction and it was sort of crumbling over the years. Nobody was maintaining it, but they're maintaining it. At least they were the last time I was there. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, great. I have friends who rolled through recently and they said it's being well-maintained. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a really interesting landmark. And if you ever just so happen to be in the area, which I find extremely doubtful, but if you are and you see big, giant concrete dinosaurs on the side of, I think it's the 10 freeway, uh, go ahead and stop by because it's really friggin' cool. At least for me, it is. It's very nostalgic for me. But uh, anyways, wow, we are already like 20 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even really talked about the the saucer nest, but we did talk about the gumboot festival. So I guess it's a, and you know. I'm sorry, but the dinosaurs are related to the fact that our audience wants cryptids. And one of the... um cryptids out there is in fact you know a, a dinosaur that people believe that dinosaurs still somewhere in some isolated place it could even be under the earth there's living dinosaurs yeah, that's definitely a possibility because there are a lot of people who think that there are big giant caverns under the earth that have life in it i don't know that i've seen evidence for that but it's one of the things that's out there <laughs> um but yeah, also there are dinosaurs on the planet, such as Nessie is probably descended from dinosaurs. And uh, who knows, you know, birds, I think birds, maybe alligators. I don't know. So I guess they're called neo-dinosaurs, the living dinosaurs that are a category of cryptids. Hmm. Okay. We should do an episode on those. That's what I was saying. Okay. But back to the Tully Saucer Tully Nest. Saucer All right. Nest. Let's get to it because it is actually surprisingly warm in this room and I don't want to be in here all night. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the saucer nest is actually, it's not a term that's used for this case specifically, but it's actually just a general term that was in use at some point, which I find interesting because I'd never heard of it before. And it was a term that was apparently coined by the press. I couldn't find which case it was coined for. But when I was searching through some documents, I did find a document that said it started with two more saucer nests were found in Tully at the beginning of the article about Tully, suggesting that Tully was not the start of the saucer nest craze. But uh, I didn't really have the time to find where it started, unfortunately. But 
Tolly is probably the best, well, the best known saucer nest case. It all started at 9 a.m. on January 19th, 1966. A fella named George Pedley, who was in his 20s, I think he was 26? 28. 28, okay. Mm-hmm. 28, he's a banana farmer. <laughs> and and sugarcane. And this is this is where you need ETA on the episode, right? Because ETA would be like, <laughs> he was a what farmer now? <laughs> you know, or insert ETA joke there. <laughs> Anyways, he was minding his own business, driving his tractor around as, you know, if I was 28 and I had a tractor, I would be, you know, working, quote, you can't see me, but I'm making quotation marks with my fingers. I would be working, driving my tractor around because who wouldn't be when he heard a hissing sound. He said it sounded like air escaping from a tire, but his tires appeared to be fine. So he kept driving and then he saw something he could not ignore. A spaceship rose at a high speed out of a nearby swamp called the Horseshoe Lagoon, which was about 25 yards in front of him. And he said, it was blue-gray, about 25 feet across and 9 feet high. It spun at a terrific rate as it rose vertically about 60 feet, then made a shallow dive and rose sharply. Traveling at a fantastic speed, it headed off in a southwesterly direction. It was out of sight in seconds. I saw no portholes or antenna, and there was no sign of life either in or about the ship. And that's his sighting. Yeah, it's uh, it was very short. What was it, 15, 20 seconds? Very short sighting. But it made quite an impression on him, that's for sure. And he said the shape was like two saucers face-to-face. Right, and yeah. And there's pictures. If you go online, you can see he drew his own picture, and then he signed it in cursive with a flourish. There are also pictures of the saucer nests. Well, at yes, least one. Yes, actual photos. Yeah, no, actual I've photos. seen a few, a few with him and a neighbor. I saw, I didn't look that up online because I was busy looking through documents, but I did find one in the, one picture in the documents and it looks, looks exactly like what he described as far as the uh, nests. But so some sources say that the ship was vapor-like, whatever that means. But I didn't, I could not find him saying that in a direct quotation. So I suspect that may be journalistic embellishment. I don't know. Anyways, so he went to the area where the object was and saw a circular area of flattened reeds. It was a swampy area. They were flattened in a clockwise direction and the reeds were dried out. But the nearby reeds were normal. They were not affected. They were green. They were wet. Uh, He said, the reeds were without exception bent below water level, dead and swirled around in a clockwise manner as if they had been subjected to some terrific rotary force. And they were like pulled out by their roots. Yeah, yeah. And the water, I think, I think I have a quote later on, but the water was about supposedly like five feet deep or so here. And they were pulled out by their roots, which is kind of weird. He also noticed a sulfur smell. Now, by some accounts, when he was near this area, or maybe when he saw the UFO, the article wasn't really clear. He had tractor engine trouble, and then his tractor actually stopped running. But again, I didn't find a direct quote where he said that. That was in an article, so take it with a grain of salt. But that is one of the more common things you hear about in UFO sightings, are engine troubles or otherwise electrical troubles. You know, uh, I read that him and his neighbor, actually, Albert Panisi, went out and they, the reeds were so dense and thick they could, like, stand on them. Wow, So really? that's why they call them nests. Okay, interesting. Okay, I did not see that particular detail. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I have a photo somewhere of them just hanging out on top of the nests. You, can you post that on the Discord? No, I'm not logged into Discord. I'm on my Chromebook. Oh, okay. Well, I'll get you logged in there some other time, but not now. Uh, maybe we can post that later if we remember, which I definitely won't because <laughs> <laughs> I got ADHD, which is why I need notes. Anyways, so they also found three large holes, sort of like landing indentations, that were beneath the nest and uh, I, I again, I found this in an article, not a direct quotation, so I'm not sure if that's true or not. But, you know, if it is, that's very interesting. 
Also, six feet from the nest, they found a rectangular patch of grass, five, five feet by six feet, that was clipped off at the water level, almost as if something had taken a sample. Huh. I didn't and, read that anywhere. And I do want to point out that this is in a swampy area, just like the 1966 Michigan sightings, which a couple of them were also in swampy areas. Although they definitely were not swamp gas. You know, if you want to hear my, my discussion of that, they thoroughly debunked the, you know, the idea of swamp gas being responsible. Not that you really need to debunk that because of what the witnesses said, but uh, anyways, it's just, I just thought it was interesting that both of these cases, both in 1966, both around a swampy area, just pretty weird stuff. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that other than perhaps if you were coming here from somewhere else, you might be interested in an area that was teeming with life that might be a swamp. And we like to think that we're the most interesting thing on the planet, but we might not be, <laughs> you know, we might be no different than anything else on the planet. In fact, and it might be more interesting to them to take grass samples than it would be to take people samples. But of course, they might be doing both. <laughs> I have a theory, actually. Oh, yeah? What's that? Okay. Actually, we are the most interesting things on the planet, but we're a very complicated species. So if alien kids like students need a project for school, instead of using humans in some sort of experiment, they have to go to the swamp. I love it. <laughs> so the 1966 Tully Saucer Nest was a student project. Yeah. That is a really good theory. I, I never, I, that's a new theory. I never heard of that one before. That is really excellent. You guys heard it here first. Agent Ether has come up with a brand new theory that the saucer nest and possibly other saucer incidents, not necessarily limited to 1966, are student experiments. <laughs> and it makes sense because, to be honest, some of these sightings. It seems like the pilots are a little amateurish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They seem like they don't really know what they're doing. And if they were, you know, young students that would check out. I love it. That is, that is a really, really cool theory. I really like it. <laughs> All right. So George initially didn't want to talk to anybody about the incident, but he ran into his neighbor, Albert Panisi, that Ether just said on his way home. Um, now again, cue the agent ETA joke because the last name is spelled <laughs> P-E-N-N-I-S-I. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's nearly the word penis, but not quite, you know, it's got an extra N and an extra I in there, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyway, so George told Mr. Panisi about his experience and, uh, Mr. Panisi said that his dog had suddenly gone mad and bounded towards the lagoon around the time of George's sighting. I think it was 5.30 in the morning. Now, later when they went to investigate the area, they saw strange footprints near the largest nest, and they said that they didn't look like animal prints, although some accounts said that they did look like animal prints, uh, maybe by like a calf print or something. Now, where did you find this? Because I saw a YouTube video with a ufologist which who one? was discussing the footprints but then i looked around to try and find like newspaper clippings there was an interview i found on youtube actually with the neighbor and um the person who cited it initially and neither one of them mentioned these footprints which is kind of a big deal I think I saw it mentioned in an APRO bulletin, which is, that that's a defunct um, UFO organization from way back when. Hmm. But I saw it mentioned in a couple of places. But um, again, I didn't see any direct quotes from the witnesses, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, and it doesn't necessarily match up with the witness descriptions or with the witness description. So I take this one with a grain of salt, but it's still kind of interesting. The Queensland State Library, or the State Library of Queensland, I think it's really called, has a bunch of newspapers and magazines and periodicals, but you have to go get them in person because the ones that were scanned online were really hard to read, like hmm. really hard to read. So I was like, okay, I just need to be on my Chromebook and on my phone. And so I blew them up and I wanted to read more about it. But unfortunately, I still, I still couldn't read it. I was very disappointed. 
Yeah, that's actually, it's, um, you know, showing my inner nerd, but one of my dreams, if I win the lottery, is to go to these places like, you know, where the blue book files are or, you know, what the documents you're talking about and get better scans of them because the blue book scans we have from fold three are pretty good. And it's incredibly awesome that we have those, but a lot of them are incredibly difficult to read. So I wonder if we have, you know, newer technology that would make that stuff a lot easier to read. If, if you had really high quality gear, the best technology that you could afford and you went there, you might be able to get much better images of these things. You know, it's funny, though, is the State Library also has an archive, which they've labeled the X-Files. Really? Yeah, really, truly. And in there, I found police correspondences detailing UFO sightings from like the early 50s. But there were only 88 photos. 7,000 people had viewed them. So I got really excited because initially it kind of looked like Blue Book files, like Blue Book archives. But it's like the Blue Book archives with maybe like the first page of each file and everything else is missing. Ah, bummer. So, yeah, for example, there was a correspondence between a chief and his minion. And they're like, hey, someone reported this plane. It didn't make any sound. We should go check it out. And then nothing. Like, that's the whole correspondence. Or, um, hey, we think some kids were playing with some flares. Let's go check it out. And then nothing. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's kind of like, it's such a, you know, I think um, I'm going to fill in for ETA here. What a cock tease. <laughs> <laughs> there was one that was kind of funny, though. There was one. It okay. was in March of 55 in the Townsville district in Ingham Station. And inquiries were, ma- in- inquiries were made with uh, about an alleged unidentified plane by one Arthur Pugue. However, in the police statement, it says, and I quote, he was a person of low mentality. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he was a boxer and they said he exhibited punch drunkenness and that it was a figment of his imagination. Well, I mean, you know, it's not all boxers are super well spoken because they tend to not be the most educated people, which is why they turn to boxing for in the first place to in make the, money. In the 50s. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about, you know, post-Great Depression here where the economy is still recovering. So, yeah, I mean, and this is also well before they had um, good regulations. So it's possible this guy was really, really was punch drunk. Yeah. And a person of low mentality. And it's... Poor Arthur. I wonder if he was a minority and that's sort of like a racist uh, evaluation. Oh, boo. That's I mean, terrible, yeah. Would, yeah, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be unfortunate? Yeah. But you know, that's part of history, and I think that we should not necessarily try to hide history, but we don't know for a fact that that's the case. So, you know, but I have seen some accounts that uh are not necessarily, you know, it's it's crazy to think that in the 50s, which is not that long ago, we still had some uh but oh, that's a whole that's a whole other episode, which Probably is not appropriate for this podcast anyways. So let's move along. Did you have any more cases you wanted to talk about? No, that one I was just like punch drunk. Yeah. Punch that's, drunk. That's a real thing. I mean, you've seen certain boxers that they just, you know, they their career goes on for too long and they just take too many shots. And then, you know, they have like slurred speech and stuff like that. I've, I've met some in person. I went to a... Uh, um, you know, a box California Boxing Hall of Fame ceremony one time, and I met certain boxers such as Bobby Chacon, who's unfortunately passed away now. And if you're a boxing fan, you probably know who he is. But um, he was a pretty big deal back in the day. But when I met him, he could barely talk. You know, uh, and it's just. But here's the thing, though: a lot of the boxers who end up punch drunk, they um, they are also the boxers who are known to party a great deal. And, um, uh, Bobby Chacon, for example, was known to partake quite heavily of the booger sugar, for example. And this is, is just, that cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine. Okay. Now this I is a rumor. I'm, I don't know. It's a rumor, but he had a reputation, right? And that's kind of the way it goes with a lot of these athletes. And I think, so I think what happens is they are in incredible shape. You have to be in 
absolutely incredible shape to be a boxer. I mean, like I, when I was in high school, sometimes we'd get drunk and put on some boxing gloves and, you know, fight a little bit. And we would all be, you know, we were in okay shape. We were young and some of us, some of us were athletic, you know, and, but after like, I'd say a, a good minute and a half, we'd be totally exhausted. So in order to go like 12 or 15 rounds, it's insane. So these guys, you know, they can drink a lot. They can do a lot of drugs. They can, I think that their systems could withstand quite a lot of stuff, but they're still taking quite a lot of stuff and it still takes its toll over time. And I suspect that may be part of the equation for punch drunkenness. That's just what I've seen, uh, being, um, you know, used to be a huge boxing fan. And it seemed like pretty much across the board, the people that ended up with, you know, some sort of punch drunkenness, they seem to also be the ones who partied an awful lot. Is that just my own observation bias? Is that a real thing? I don't know, but it's just something I noticed. I know it is hot. We need to get back to the case. All right. <laughs> no more tangents. Um, anyway, so they, they called the police and the police came to investigate. Okay. Here's another, uh, here's another quote that I saw. This is from, uh, Mr. Uh, Panisi. Both George and I regret that we didn't know about, f- about former flying saucer research before the event, as they were the people who should have been notified and could have taken control of the whole thing. The footprints were about, oh, here, okay, here's a direct quote for, yeah, this is the footprints. Okay. The fr- footprints were about three inches in diameter and looked like, um, and then he, he draws a sketch and he says the foot marks of a calf. And he says this pointing to that about eight to 10 inches apart by the frog. We mean meant there were no indentations on the heel and the soil remained loose and raised. So in other words, the object, whatever was causing the footprints was not heavy. The large nest was 28 feet in diameter and clockwise, and the smaller nests were eight feet and anti-clockwise. So there we go. We do have a direct quote talking about the footprints. Awesome. And what he's talking about there is that um, they went, and uh, I think George went and told some people at like a, a gas station or something, and shortly the place was overrun by hundreds and hundreds of people going to look at the area before any investigators were able to go there. Well, because it's cool. You actually have some physical evidence that something happens. So who wouldn't want to go check it out? If that happened near me, I would definitely go take a look, you know, go take some pictures or whatever. It would be awesome. All right. George was quoted as saying, had anyone asked me five days ago if I believed in flying saucers, I'd have laughed and thought they were nuts. But now I know better. I have actually seen a spaceship. No one will ever convince me that I was imagining things. And then he gives, here's a witness account. Let me see what we're doing time-wise. Yeah, we're doing good time-wise. So I'll read his, this is another, a different witness account that I found in a different place. And it has some different details. So I'll go ahead and read over this one. I was driving the tractor through a neighboring property on my way to my farm about 9 a.m. on Wednesday. So it wasn't 5.30, actually. It was was 9 a.m. It was a different time than when the dog went nuts. About 9 a.m. on Wednesday, when I heard a loud hissing noise above the engine noise of the tractor. It sounded like air escaping from a tire, but the tractor tires seemed okay, so I drove on. At first, I ignored the sound, but suddenly I saw a spaceship rise at great speed out of a swamp called Horseshoe Lagoon, about 25 yards in front of me. It was blue-gray, about 25 feet across and 9 feet high. It spun at a terrific rate as it rose vertically to about 60 feet and then made a shallow dive and rose sharply. Traveling at a fantastic speed, it headed off in a southwesterly direction. It was out of sight in seconds. I saw no portholes or antenna, and there was no sign of life either in or about the ship. I think that's that part was from, uh, you know, we read that before. On my way home to Tolly that night, I met Albert Panisi, who owns the property where I saw the saucer. He believed me straight away and told me he had been dreaming for a week that a flying saucer would land on his property. What? Kind of weird. He said that about 5.30 a.m. on Wednesday, his dog suddenly went mad and bounded off towards the lagoon. But they did find multiple saucer nests, so it's possible that those were created earlier in the day. Or what if he wasn't dreaming? That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. What if that suggests all sorts of things? What are you thinking, Agent Ether? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You're thinking alien abduction. I am. That's, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good idea. That's awesome. 
All right, so he said he went and told some people at a service station. They said, then the fun started. They were convinced I was crackers and told me so. But he took them to the place where he saw the UFOs, and that's when the you know people went nuts and whatever. Everybody trampled the area, destroying the footprints that were nearby. The next Thursday, two tourists named Tom Warren and Hank Penning were walking around the lagoon. They found um, a second and third saucer nest that looked um, a li- like a few days old. They looked like they were not so fresh. But these ones, they were different sizes. They were, they were about 25 yards from the first saucer nest. They were about 8 feet across and 12 feet across. One, they were, these nests, some of them were clockwise and some of them were counterclockwise. Now, there are some accounts of an additional um, uh, fourth and fifth saucer nest, but it's not necessarily conclusive across the board that that's the case, but it appears that there were at least, at least three, possibly five saucer nests in this swampy area. Yeah, that's what I read too. Yeah, did you say did you see five or did you see three? I saw both. You saw both. Yeah, I yeah. saw both as well. And it's not clear. Again, the difficulty in researching these things is quite often a lot of your information will come from news articles and things like that. And as I've said before on the show, journalists are not necessarily the most accurate reporters of information. Sometimes they sensationalize things. In fact, uh, this goes all the way back to the first episode, you know, for example, the Hillsdale college, which was the, you know, the women, the young women students, you know, just a very simple example. You can look at newspapers that, you know, the first one said, oh, there was 27 girls that saw it. And then the next one is like, oh, there was 35. And then by the last one, there's like, oh, there were 85 girls that saw it. And like, they just try to sensationalize things to get the clicks or, you know, back in the day to sell more papers as the case may be. I, I did run across a news article. It was a clipping and it was stamped, like hand stamped January 26, 66. Yeah. And it said that the grass was free of radioactivity, specifically alpha, beta and gamma rays. So I guess they came in and they had the local university take it out for testing, which is very interesting to me that somebody took it seriously. Right. Well, you have physical evidence. They had physicists examining it, though. Can you imagine you're a physicist at a local university and you hear about this and you're like, hell yeah, I want to take a look. Yeah, that would be super exciting. Yeah. And this is, I, I did see a little tidbit about that. Yeah, I saw, but I didn't know that it was from university. I just saw that it was tested. Local university, yeah. That's really, that's so cool. But yet also, I think this was back in the day. I mean, obviously people back then were still ridiculed. We've talked about it before, but this was back in the day before the whole topic became a complete and total joke to most people. So some people still did take it seriously back then. And a lot of people saw stuff like in 66, a lot of people were seeing stuff all over the world, as I said before. So I think it's less of a joke now since the UFO hearings with uh, Congress. Yeah, and we've talked about that a little bit. Like, we haven't done a whole episode. Well, we did actually do whole episodes. We did. But, we I did. Mean, but the thing is, is like, I mentioned it. Like, why would the government do a complete 180 on that? Whereas before, it was an absolute policy to ridicule witnesses, to harass them, to downplay them. And to come up with explanations, mundane explanations under any circumstances at, at all costs to explain away what they had seen. Why, after so many years, decades of this, why did they do a complete 180? And I've talked about my theories on this in the past, but I don't know. What do you think, Agent Ether? Well, I'm not sure, but my point was I don't think people are taking it as such a joke anymore. I know. I think that it's changing a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It's still pretty... Um, Taboo. Uh, yeah, it's, Ridiculed. it's, it depends on who you're talking. Some people are open-minded. You know, if I tell some people, I say, oh yeah, I got a, you know, I got a show called the alien conspiracy podcast, you know, it, you, cause we only, we just changed the show name. So I haven't been able to tell too many people about this show name, but anyways, some people would think, oh, that's really interesting. Other people are like, what? <laughs> like, oh, you're one of those guys. Okay. <laughs> like, but I don't really care that much because, you know, it's sort of like... Um, in fact, he's wearing a tinfoil hat right now. I am indeed. Well, no, aluminum foil, actually. When we when we start the uh, live show, you'll be able to see it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see I'm not lying but, or making things up. 
it's actually a really good way of screening out people that I wouldn't want to spend time with anyways. You know what I mean? Cause right. not that, not that I only want to spend pe- time with people that are into UFOs, but the type of person would be like, Oh, you believe this? Pfft, well, you're an idiot. Then it's like, that's not really the type of people that I enjoy spending time with anyways. So it's sort of a good way of weeding out the riffraff, so to speak, you know? Uh, you know, open-minded people, even if they believe different things than me, are just more interesting in general. All right, so let's see. There are um, additional accounts of saucer nests in the area. I was not able to authenticate any of them, but apparently it was a thing at the time in the area, not just necessarily in the Tully area. There was an RAAF investigation, apparently. Um, and uh, so, okay, we already talked about some of this. We talked about that. Um, oh, yeah. So now there was uh, the Dominion reported on February 26th that another nest was found by two school boys, by two school boys, one mile east of Sydney, as they were taking a shortcut through the swamp on their way home from school. And the description was pretty much identical to the Tully saucer nests. It was 20 feet in diameter. And it was pretty much the same deal, only they didn't see a UFO. They just saw the saucer nest. Um, The boy said, tall reeds were flattened into the mud as if by some tremendous force and all were in a perfectly clockwise position. And they also detected a pungent chemical smell. They didn't say sulfur or anything like that, but uh, you could describe sulfur as a pungent chemical smell. And they didn't, you know, the previous witnesses did not say sulfur specifically. They just said it smelled like sulfur, which means that it didn't smell exactly the same, but it, uh, that's the closest thing they can think of. Correct. I guess that makes sense. All right. Now I did find a newspaper clipping from Tuesday, June the 2nd, 1981. And I found this, what are you doing, Agent Ether? Oh, sorry. These chair isn't very comfortable. Oh, I see. Okay. We should get you a more comfortable one. We should get more comfortable chairs, period. How about something like this? Would you like something like this? I could just bring over my office chair. We should do that next time. Okay. Flag. Nah, whatever. It's oh, fine. come on. I'm not going to do it. Ain't going to do it. That's, hey, that's a tangent. All right. Some people like the tangents. It breaks up the episode, makes it less monotonous. It's fine. Trust me. I've listened to a ton of podcasts. Tangents are a thing. All right. Anyways. <laughs> So this newspaper article from 1981 was pretty interesting. It's the title of the article is called the town UFOs love to buzz. Unfortunately, I didn't see the publisher, so I'm not sure which newspaper this was, but it starts Brisbane, the North Queensland town of Tully in Australia's West area seem wettest area seems to have become a con a convention center for unidentified flying objects According to one local resident, there have been more than 100 sightings of UFOs in the past 15 years. They've been seen in the cane fields and in the town, said Mrs. Noble. We found strange markings on the ground and seen lots of weird lights and had reports of mother crafts surrounded by little ones. Now, it does, it's not clear if by little ones they mean a landed craft with EBEs, or if they mean a mothership no, with little sounds, ships. it sounds like little ships to me. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me, too. I wasn't entirely clear, though. The uninvited flying objects, which Buzz Tully apparently have a particular fondness for Horseshoe Lagoon, the scene of the famous Tully nest incident 15 years ago. And then it goes on to explain the Tully sighting, which we've already explained, so I'll skip that part. All right, now that's basically the Tully sighting there's not a whole lot to it, right? They just, you know, you have a witness that saw it, you have other witnesses in the area, and they left these little marks. Now, Agent Ether, you found some stuff that this might be the inspiration for crop circles. Yeah, just very briefly, actually, we did a whole episode on crop circles, which was so cool. a really good episode. What is it called, the people who study crop circles? Circleologists? Circleologists, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, ma- I made that up. Serologists. C- Serologists. I think okay. with a C, like C E R E O L O G Y. Like cereal? Serology. Sure. But <laughs> Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, who confessed to making crop circles, and that hit the news, 
So they were actually inspired by the 1966 Tolliness. And that's why they faked the crop circles. So these might be the OG crop circles. The original, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about that, and I find that incredibly interesting. So that even though these two people probably hoaxed some crop crop circles, they were inspired by a real UFO event. Uh, Pretty. Alleged. Alleged. Well, you know, whatever. Pretty interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, the the jury is still out. I like to believe that crop circles are not necessarily all man-made, but you never know. <laughs> all right. So I did, did you have anything else on that before I go on? No, I do not. All right. Before we wrap this one up, let's see what time we're at here. Uh, yeah, we're making good time. Okay. So before we wrap this one up, I did find a bunch of other sightings that were very similar to the Tully saucer nests. I'm not going to talk about all of them because we don't have enough time, but I'll just mention a couple of them. So first, there's the bar incident. So in Garrison, Iowa, in, on July 13th, 1969, so a couple of years, three years later, Patty Barr and her cousin Kathy Marr, who were teenagers at the time, were preparing to go to bed in the upstairs bedroom of the Barr farm home. So they were in their bedroom doing their thing, probably changing into the pajamas or whatever. I don't know what, what girls do. Agent Ether could tell you that. Doing their nails, <laughs> talking about the boys. Yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff. So it was 7.5 miles south of Garrison, Iowa at a farm. And when they were doing their thing, they heard a sound like a low flying jet roaring outside. So, you know, it sounds like pretty loud. So Patty runs to the window, which is facing to the north. And then sees something and she yells to her cousin. The cousin comes over and they both saw the same thing, which was um, an object that had a dull metallic finish, which was easily discerned because the, because it had two rows of lights, which were arranged across the face of it at the midline. It appeared to look like two coffee saucers placed rim to rim and it rotated as it hovered. Sound familiar? Sounds a little familiar to me. The sighting lasted only for a few seconds, and then the object left at such a high speed that the girls did not know precisely in which direction that it went, except that it went past their window. And then the area where it had hovered was glowing red. Huh. Kind of weird. And interestingly, the girls weren't, were not frightened from the experience. That's what they told uh, investigators later on. They said, well, yeah, it didn't scare us. We were just curious, which I don't know. Uh, maybe the farm girls are a little tougher <laughs> of, uh, of spirit than your average individual because I'd be crapping my pants if I saw something like that. Because we're city slickers. Yeah, we're city slickers. I'd be, what in the hell? I'd be ducking and covering, you know, especially back then. <laughs> what a crazy sight. Yeah, that would definitely scare the crap out of me. So they told their story the next day at breakfast Mr. Barr said that it was probably just a figment of their imagination. Both of them. Yeah. But later that, well, you know, kids, sometimes kids tell funny stories. Maybe they watched a sci-fi movie because there were alien movies back then. It was not like unheard of. There was tons of sci-fi going on back then. So the, the, he probably just figured, ah, they were just watching a movie or they read a, a story in the paper or what, who knows what. So he probably just thought they were imagining things or coming up with a story. That's pretty reasonable. But later that morning, he found a circular, uh, a circular 40 foot diameter patch where the girls said that they had seen the UFO and it was, it was in uh, he was a farmer. It was a farm. They had a field of beans and it was in the bean field where this 40 foot patch was. And the area was almost bare and the bean vines were burned, but only in the circle, not outside of the circle. And it said um, in the, in the article, it said that there was no evidence of fire. And I'm not sure what that means really, because the vines were burned, but there was no evidence of fire. I'm not, I'm not sure what that description indicates other than the burned area was contained within that circle. And the circle was visible from the air. It was really visible. And, this is really interesting because what if this happened in an area that was not five feet deep water, but it was just a regular, regular dirt? This is what it might look like, I guess. I don't know. Now, some people think that it was a lightning strike or some kind of fireball, whatever, whatever that means. Um, I could tell you from experience 
uh, not direct experience, not being right next to it, but you know, um, lightning has struck and started fires where we live in this area, not too far from here. And I don't think it makes a perfect 40 foot diameter circle. Uh, That's kind of strange. But anyways, Patty later told investigators that she was sure the object was from outer space and that it wasn't anything earthly. And that's that case. Uh, you, you might be able to look into it and find a little bit more details and stuff, but that's, you know, the short version. Another one is from Cherry Creek, New York. This one happened at 8.20 p.m. on August 19th, 1965. Harold Butcher, who was 16 years old, was milking cows on his parents' dairy farm. And he was, he was, it was in a barn. So the, the cows are in the barn. He's milking them. And this is near Cherry Creek, New York. He was listening to the news on a transistor radio, and he had a tractor running to power the milking machine, which apparently was broken down and unable to power itself. He heard at the same, he had these, these things all happen at the same time. He heard static on the radio, the tractor motor stopped and the bull that was tethered near the barn started to freak out. He said that the bull made sounds like I have never heard come from an animal before. He looked out the window and saw a large elliptical object descending onto the ground about a quarter mile away. It looked like it was about 50 feet long and football shaped. Football shaped is another shape that a flying saucer could potentially make under the correct circumstances. Anyways, it made a beep beep sound stayed on the ground for a few seconds and then shot straight up into the clouds overhead. Harold yelled for his family, and when they came out, they noticed a strange odor. They also saw a greenish glow in the clouds. The bull that had been tethered, well, still was tethered, but it was tethered to a sturdy steel bar, which was now bent by the animal's panicked attempt to flee. Harold's mother phoned the police, and before they got to the farm, Four more witnesses saw the object. The USAF investigated the case, Project Blue Book apparently, and they found a purplish liquid where the object had touched down and grass that was singed or burned. They also saw two track-like depressions in the ground. There was another sighting the next day by State Trooper Richard Ward, who saw it during the evening time, He said it had eight circular lights and flew twice as fast as a jet. It made a soft purring sound as it flew by. And this was only a couple miles away from the farm where it was originally witnessed. So those are just two of them. There's a bunch more, but um, we don't really have time to do that. We're getting towards the end here. But before we check out, what are your final thoughts on this case, Agent Ether? Well, I just found it really fascinating. I had never heard of nests before. And when I first uh, read about the case, I just assumed it was a crop circle and they were just calling it nests because it was the, you know, term that was coined. But it was very interesting. And I I haven't heard uh, much about that since. People don't really talk about nests. It's all about crop circles. Yeah. And I wonder if that term is a local term that they use in Australia. Maybe it's still used to this day. I'm not sure possible, I guess. I think it's a very interesting case. And you just have one person, one sighting here. Uh, sounds plausible to me. Yeah. And you have, well, you actually have multiple witnesses who saw the UFO, but you only have one person that saw it at the nest, I guess, is at least for the Tully saucer nest. And you have a bunch of similar cases all over the place, all over the world, really. But for as far as the Tully saucer nest, people said that they didn't see any indication that machinery or anything else was brought in. They didn't see any vehicle tracks or anything like that. So if this was done by a person, I, I suppose it would be possible to hoax it. You could maybe do it with like a piece of wood that you could use to flatten the area out. And then if you had some kind of torch, maybe you could crisp the things the you know, the reeds, I suppose it would be. I think fairly difficult to do. I don't know. Pulling those reeds out by their roots from the swamp. Yeah. That's, that takes some effort. And like you said, that would take some machinery. Right. And we're not talking about just like a a machete or something. Right. So yeah, I, I think so too. I don't know what to make of this case, but we do have 
you know, pretty credible witnesses who weren't trying to sell books or anything like that. You have multiple witnesses, you have multiple sites, you have physical evidence, we have photographs. It's a really interesting case. And I think it's a good case. Um, I don't know what it was. I have no theories myself other than perhaps some, some, you know, grad students from Proxima Centauri, perhaps, <laughs> which is my, one of my favorite theories now, but yeah, it's a really, really fun case. I'm glad we did this one. All right. I think that's all we got for you this time around. Thank you guys so much for listening. And before we head out, don't forget to check out our brand new merch store that Agent Ether was so kind to set up on Redbubble. I haven't ordered anything off of it yet, so I'm a, I want to do that just to check out the quality because our previous store, um, we got rid of it because the quality was very low. The t-shirts, like the printing, didn't stay on for very long before it started to peel. So hopefully this one's a little bit better. Um, if anybody wants to be a guinea pig, check it out. Link's in the link tree on the description. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all we got for you. And until next time, keep it strange.